2: To our new listeners, welcome. To our old listeners, welcome back. Another episode of Magical Education awaits you, but first we would like to say a few words.
0: Netwit, blubber, oddment, tweak. Podcast 9 to 3 quarters topic of the week is Australian Magical History. Hi there, listeners. I'm Jem.
2: And I'm Rhea. And I'd like to start this episode by talking to you at length about a problem that I have. Okay. <laughs> Let's go. I'll quickly, we'll just do a content warning. Oh, first. yes. Content warning. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Um, so, as you all know, this is our Australian Magical Series. And this episode, we'll be talking about Australian Magical History, which looks at the history of this country through the context of a magical lens, specifically the magic in Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. So, for anyone who isn't aware, Australia's history is very dark. We have a very complex and gruesome and at times terrible history Mm -hmm. to hear about. Um, We'll be covering topics such as genocide, colonization. And so if these are topics that you are not comfortable
2: hearing about, Mm -hmm. that is fine. I just recommend you skip this episode. And also I want to specifically mention any Indigenous Australians who might be listening. We're going to talk about specific things like the Stolen Generations, which might be very upsetting to hear about. So if you don't want to listen to this episode, or just be aware that we're going to talk about those things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to open by talking about something that I've talked to you about outside of the podcast a few times, and Mm -hmm. it's a problem within the series of Harry Potter that I don't know how to solve and I don't think can be solved. And it's mm-hmm. the clash between uh, fantasy and historical fantasy and historical revisionism. Mm-hmm. So I've got like a like a thing that I'm going to walk you through. This might take a while, but it, I think it's important to spell it out. Yeah. So what's Harry Potter? <laughs> Harry Potter is a children's series which asks the question: What if there was a secret magical world that existed within the world around us? Yeah. That, at its base premise, is a premise for a children's series who go to magical... about children who go to a magical school and have fun adventures, it's fine. It doesn't have to Mm -hmm. be deeper than that. We don't have to think about it. But the problem comes when we do try and make it deeper and we do try and think about it. Mm -hmm. When we try to expand that premise out to cover not just this tiny slice of white upper middle class Britain, but uh, the entire world with all of its many cultures and races and stories, this is where we're going to run into problems. Yeah. So... This is the problem I want to talk about, and like, heads up, I might say some things that you might find upsetting or not like, but this is important context before we start talking about Australian magical history. The problem with the Harry Potter series is a fantasy story which appears to be set in our modern world. By its very nature, it supposes that the fantastical elements of the world had no significant impact on the world throughout history. Mm -hmm. So it's not like Narnia where the children leave their dreary little British lives and they escape to what is effectively a parallel reality to have their adventures. Harry and the other wizards are living in our world with our politics and our history, which means Mm -hmm. that wizards and magic and magical creatures have always existed. And yet every major historical event since the dawn of time has taken place exactly as it did in our world. This Mm -hmm. is even canon. We even see it in the series. There's a section where Harry's reading about the Salem witch trials a horrific tragedy where like real life women and men as well, but mostly women were like tortured and murdered because they were supposed to be witches. And like, we Mm. know in the world of Harry Potter, real life witches were there with magic and they did nothing about it. And it all played out exactly the same as it did because they just didn't do anything. Yeah. Okay. So this makes no sense (laughs) because in our world, like, horrible things happened because magic didn't exist to solve or at least impact the problems of the time. So it's the question of, and we've mentioned this a million times and so is every other person who's ever criticized Harry Potter. Why didn't wizards stop the Holocaust? Yeah. Oh, you know, they were busy doing something else. Oh, they couldn't interfere for legal or political reasons. Yeah. But what, a, what, a, what about every other massacre and genocide and invasion and colonization mm-hmm. and the massive centuries long travesty and miscarriage of justice every single one of them that has taken place since the dawn of time why didn't wizards do anything about slavery about smallpox they could yeah. have they have the power to do things and solve those problems but they just didn't yeah and the only answer that makes sense in canon is either that they choose not to which makes them complicit yeah. Or they were active participants in these things, which, which makes, makes them... more sense and yeah. is worse. <laughs> it <laughs> makes them more than complicit. It <laughs> makes them malicious.
0: Yeah. I think it's depending on the time and place. A little from column A, a little from column B. It's both. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So for me, this like thought process was prompted by the Morney update years yes. ago. Yeah. It was something I thought about the time and I always intended to bring it up on the podcast as part of a larger conversation about representation, but it was never the right moment. This is the moment. I'm making the moment now. Yeah. So when the Ilvermorny update came out, J.K. Rowling was slammed for racism, cultural appropriation, and general ignorance and lack of sensitivity Mm -hmm. when she released info about the American Wizarding School and the American Wizarding World, and specifically the treatment of Native American people, history, and culture. Yeah. All of those criticisms are fair and reasonable. She did a bad job. (laughs) She is, on the whole, not good at depicting anything other than white British people with anything even close to sensitivity or nuance. And she's too arrogant to admit that she's bad at that or anything she says isn't perfect, so she won't accept help. Mm -hmm. Whatever. But (laughs) beyond JK's many problems, uh, there is a larger problem that exists within the world of Harry Potter. And it isn't an issue about how representation is handled. And it isn't a plot hole that can be written around. It's a fundamental problem that can't be solved. Yeah. So the history of the human race is bloody and violent and filled with cruelty and injustice and tragedy. Mm-hmm. Now and throughout history, we can divide the world into oppressor and oppressed. And it's not a clean division, but these things exist. Sure. The reason why this is possible is because oppressed people have historically, culturally, socially, militarily, economically, and by any other means you want to judge, had less power than the people who oppressed them. Yeah. The systems and mechanisms by which this has happened are many and varied. And I'm not just talking about one thing. I'm not, I'm talking about race, gender, monarchies, military campaigns, empires. I'm talking about everything all over the world since time began. There are people with power and there are people without, and that means different things in different places and times measured in different ways. Yes. Now, when you add into that mix, another system of power, magical power, there's only two possible ways to do that. One this new system of power disrupts all the other systems. Like if you had all these systems in place, but without money, and then you threw economy into the mix, that changes everything. Of course. You understand? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Or two, it has absolutely no effect and it changes nothing, which means that the new system of power aligns itself to existing systems of power. Which I think is what's happened. Which is what happened. Yeah. So to unpack what I just said a little bit, the first option would be historical fantasy. I'm going to mention the Stolen Generations here, which is something we'll explain more as the episode goes on. Yeah. But the Stolen Generations, a real life tragedy, happened in Australia because white people had the power to steal the children of indigenous people. Yes. Now, if indigenous people had magical power to resist or repel white people, the Stolen Generations either wouldn't have happened or would have happened very, very differently. Yeah. So to depict that in the world of Harry Potter would be historical revisionism or historical fantasy. It would be rewriting the actual history of the world to look different based on different factors like the introduction of magic.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Harry Potter doesn't do this. Mm -hmm. What Harry Potter does is introduce this new system of power to the world, but then also says the world is exactly the same as it is now, which means that magical power must align to historical and current systems of power. So in short, white people and white British people were able to colonize and oppress non-white people because their magic was more powerful than the magic of indigenous people they're oppressing. This is the way it has to be. It's the only logical possible answer within the context of the story. And that sucks and it's racist, but it's because the world we live in is racist and there isn't a way to fix it without writing all evil out of the world, which also doesn't fix the problem because that's how you get all wizards are separate and they don't concern themselves with the politics of muggles. And there's actually no way to fix this. I hate it. Um, yeah. I also, uh, yeah. yeah. I see you, what you come understand. From? Did everything that I just said make sense? It does make sense. Okay.
0: Um, But I hate it because I
2: think it also yeah. comes with this
0: assumption that if I'm looking at this from an Australian lens, it comes with an mm-hmm. assumption that like, the reason why the white colonization of australia was successful was because britain was simply just more powerful yeah. than indigenous peoples which i think is maybe a like obviously not a nuanced take oh, <laughs> like yeah. this is vastly simplified yeah it's just obviously it wasn't a fair game because they were introducing mm-hmm. diseases and shit they were it was yeah. a purposeful genocide it was colonization mm-hmm. like <laughs> what what do I even say to that like I don't I don't think it's exactly
2: one-to-one with our history no. um, of course it isn't no and it's far more complicated than that yeah all I'm saying is like uh, there is not a way to write the story and the world of Harry Potter without using oh this is going to sound bad without like using racist ideas and racist histories because yeah. Harry Potter said in the real world and history is racist and that's also the way that it is the world of Harry
0: Potter is racist we've established
2: this the so world of Harry episodes. Potter is racist as well so you can't be like oh well australia was never colonized by the british mm. because that completely changes the entire history of the planet and would mean that Harry Potter is set in a completely parallel universe where things are very, very different. And it isn't. Mm-hmm. It's set in our world. Yeah. So Australia was colonised by the British, but why did that happen? Yeah. It shouldn't have. If the indigenous peoples had magical power, why weren't they able to better protect themselves? It doesn't. It doesn't add up. It doesn't follow. There's no way to solve it. So yeah. <laughs> I had to say all of this before we start talking about the history of Australia, because it, uh, there's so much, it's such a problem. Mm. Yeah. I don't know what to say
0: because exactly. like, I've come up with a, with a story of how I think history played out basic mm-hmm. which basically mirrors our own history, like the, the mm-hmm. real history of this country. Um, But I never tried to look at it through that lens of like, this inherently means that british magic is simply more powerful mm-hmm. <laughs> i never i never looked at it that way i looked at it as how it played out in our history which was yeah. it was we cheated them <laughs> like yeah. we it was warfare and it was cruel and it was unnecessary like yeah. that's how i looked at it um yeah. yeah it was a war which was won and, and, won well, and it's, lost no the war's still going yeah it's um, still going So like we're still in a contested conflict ridden land. So Mm -hmm. that's how I, anyway, that's how I viewed it. (laughs) (laughs) This
2: is a grim start to the episode. It is a grim start to the episode. Yeah. What I'm talking about here is because often when we do like our head cannons about things in Harry Potter, what we do is we're like, Hey, JK said this thing, but that's racist. So we're going to fix it. We're going to do our own thing and we're going to change it and we're going to make it better. I wanted to set up in this episode, we actually can't do that without breaking the entire world. Because I would love to be like, oh, hey, (laughs) the entire history of Australia and all of the horrible tragedies and everything that happened here... Uh, It didn't happen in the world of Harry Potter. It was a better, cooler, more fucking woke version of history. And
0: honestly, that feels worse because it's against (laughs) the nature of truth telling and reconciliation that is needed to understand the history of this country and move forward as as a people in this country.
2: Yeah, like... so first of all, like, that's not my place as a white descendant <laughs> of, of fucking immigrants and colonizers to be like, hey, it's all chill, guys, don't yeah. even worry about it. And, like, second of all, there's no way to do that, like you said, that is truthful and just and, like, and it also straight up just doesn't make sense in the world because yeah. it is set in our real world. There's not an alternate history. Yeah. And I'm and we're just looking at Australia the entire history of the planet from the dawn of time to now would be wildly different. Like if, if magic was real in this, if the system of magic in Harry Potter was real in our world, it would look completely different.
0: Mm -hmm. It just wouldn't
2: be the same. It would be a completely different world.
0: Yeah. But if we're understanding, as you said, magic as just another system of power that exists in the history of this fictional reality, then yeah, we would just put it alongside things like economy, military, Mm-hmm. et cetera, which is yeah. how colonization took place.
2: Yeah, It just has to align with the way that systems of power worked out in history. You have yeah. to assume that the Roman Empire was more magically powerful than all of the countries they conquered. It just has to be that way, because yeah. otherwise they wouldn't have conquered those countries. <laughs> oh, and I they hate wouldn't it. have been a Roman Empire. Do you mm. see what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <sighs> so, Had to preface this episode with all of that. I wish I could fix this. I can't. There's no way to fix it. And JK can't fix it either. It's just... It's an inherent flaw within the world. The problem with JK and what she created was that she created it from her very
0: narrow-minded, white, British uh, context. And I, Mm -hmm. I, I have the suspicion that she's a monarchist at heart. And so... I wouldn't
2: call that a suspicion. I would call that text. (laughs) Yeah. text It seems
0: quite textual that she's a monarchist at heart and so probably didn't even, hasn't like had the thought cross her mind before about the impacts of British colonization on the globe. Yeah. So obviously us as two Australians are just inherently going to look at the systems and ideas that she preached in her novels completely differently to Mm -hmm. someone from a country that has never been colonized before by Britain.
1: Yeah.
2: Like. Yeah. She's probably looking at, like, oh, British colonization historically and to this day was a good thing. Yeah, yeah, you know.
0: Yeah. She's probably like, oh, why would Australia want to leave the Commonwealth? <laughs> you
2: know? Yeah. <laughs> Don't you love it here? Isn't it great? Don't you
0: love having a king?
2: Ugh. Ugh. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> let's... So let's, <laughs> let's actually start it. talking about um, magical history in Australia.
0: Yeah. Again, we should preface... We are both white Australians standing on stolen Mm -hmm. land. We have no connection to the First Nations of this land. We are second-born, second-generation immigrants. um, Mm -hmm. And these are our very limited perspectives on how we think history might have played out in a magical context. Of course, Mm -hmm. our perspectives would be thoroughly more enriched if we had an Indigenous co-host or First Nations persons or perspectives. um, Enriching our storytelling here, but... That's not what we have. These are our opinions. You're welcome to adapt them, uh, contradict them, add to them, take away from them. That is your prerogative and we would love to hear that from, especially from our Indigenous listeners and First Nations peoples.
2: Mm -hmm. And we're going to do the best we can here. Specifically within the limitations of real-life history and the context of the story, as I've just outlined. Yes. There's only so much we can do here. And
0: there's only so much we can cover in our time limit, too. Like, I've broken down Australian history literally into, like, sort of five sections, which is so limiting. But Mm -hmm. I tried to touch as many important cultural touchstones as I could. Mm -hmm. So... Bear that in mind as well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. So let's start this. Um, obviously, my first point is the oldest civilization on earth, magic in First Nations of Australia, pre contact.
1: Mm-hmm. All
0: right. I want us to think about magic users in pre contact Australia. Um, mm-hmm. Pure bloods, half bloods, muggaborns, squibs, and muggles. Are these populations divided? Is magic shared amongst all? Is it ceremonial and exclusive? And then I want to think about um, pre contact. Trade and diplomacy with other countries, so specifically East Asia and the Dutch. There's evidence of this throughout our history. Mm-hmm. There's evidence that even Sheng Ho, the famous Chinese pirate, might have traded with indigenous peoples in the north of the country. Like, it's, yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so <sick. laughs> these are the things, let's have a think about, like, how the magic yeah. users might have operated, what their roles in society might have been, what the societies might have looked
2: like. Mm-hmm. You've also touched on bonds and the wandless here, which I know is a massive issue, but we should address that as well. So I want to give a little bit of context, first of all. So when we are talking about the indigenous peoples of Australia, first of all, we keep using this word peoples because there was not one single unified indigenous population. It wasn't like one country with one people. Not homogenous. It was more like, I think it's something like maybe a couple of thousand. I don't even know how many different... Over hundreds. Like, native countries yeah. there were. D- different countries and nations. But that's yeah. why I say First Nations as well. Yeah. Nations, yeah. So the land of Australia was basically divided up into... We're not sure how many. And we're not sure as well because I don't think there is a solid answer. It's These things have been sort of lost to history yeah. because of many genocides divided into the hundreds maybe thousands of different nations where there were different peoples yeah. living on their land yeah so when i think of like the magical community within that i really don't see a separation between Neither. magic users and muggles in terms no. of the indigenous yeah. australians it, yeah. to me that doesn't make any sense and it specifically doesn't make sense that there would be like a separate yeah. land or a separate place where magical users no. would live like a Diagon Alley type place. No. That doesn't make any sense I see sense it as very me.
0: much immersed. Everyone knows that there are some people that are magic users. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah. you know, it's just part of the societies that exists. exist. Like... <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, you would just know that, like, your family has, like, you know, a few dozen people or something living in it, and, like, one or yeah. two of those people are magic users. Except those numbers are way <laughs> yeah. off. It would be way yeah. less than that. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. They're Mm -hmm. just integrated into the people. And I, in terms of, like, blood purity, pure bloods and half-bloods and stuff, those are incredibly, like, British ideas. I don't think so. Definitely
0: British. I don't think it's happening. No. That would be something that would be introduced post-contact.
2: Yeah, it's going to be introduced later. And it's going to be a problem. It's going to be a massive problem.
0: Yeah. So everyone's sort of living together they have a shared knowledge um Mm -hmm. i i think there might be some like spells like if i'm thinking about indigenous cultures and first nations peoples there were some ceremonies that Mm -hmm. only certain people could attend like you know yeah some things that only men could do there was something that only women can do elders etc so i think there might be some particular you know magical ceremonies or rituals that are exclusive to magic users or particular types of magic users like male magic users female Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um but i think ultimately magic is a part of the community and it's the part of the way that the nations interact with the land and with each other
1: Mm
2: -hmm. yeah there's things like uh men's business and women's business which is like secret knowledge or secret ceremonies that was divided amongst genders that weren't shared with each other Mm -hmm. I think I can very much see like magical rituals and magical ceremonies being restricted to certain peoples but not all of them as well I think not all of them no it it would
0: be certain things
2: and it would and it would vary between each nation as well like we said it's not a homogenous group um, and we couldn't guess what those are because, like, mm. us being white Australians, like, I have no idea what women's business is. It's it's, it's not my business. It's I don't not, know anything I don't, about it. It's not my business. I don't know anything no. about it. I yeah. would never try to learn.
1: Mm.
2: Yeah. I'm just aware of the systems. Um, I want to touch on warns and warnlessness because I know that this is something that JK was slammed for in the Ilva Money update. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, this, is a, this is a thing. So... In Harry Potter, like, the peak best way to use magic is to use a wand as a magical focus. Mm. And it's straight up stated in the text that, like, Native Americans didn't have wands. They used, like, ceremonial ritual magic, which was less focused and weaker than the cool white people magic of using wands. (sighs) Which is built on all kinds of racist stereotypes and stuff. So... I I don't know. I don't feel like it's my call as a white person to make a decision on whether indigenous peoples had wands or not. Exactly. Unfortunately, I would lean towards no. I don't think that. Just because it seems like it's a white British invention. It seems like a white British invention. It seems
0: very colonizing. It seems very Mm -hmm. masculine and phallic. It seems very aggressive. It's a weapon.
2: Yeah. Um, it vibes with they invented guns and then yeah, guns are friendly across the world.
0: It really vibes with, like, it's a weapon used to seize power and control.
2: Mm-hmm. Look,
0: you know, Indigenous peoples and First Nations peoples had weapons that they used to hunt and for conflict. Mm-hmm. There was conflict pre contact as well. Of course. So I think it would depend on the magic user. It might depend on the nation they belong to, whether or not they have mm-hmm. wands or staffs or some sort of focus instrument. It might yeah. be. A mixture of uh, it might be depending on what like what you're using the magic for what ceremony it's a part of you know it might be mm-hmm. that you use a wand or some sort of focus object it might be that it's more about one less magic and using your hands or using dance and ceremony using song lines like there could yeah. be I, lines, I like to think yeah. it's a it's a bit of a, a bit of everything and it depends obviously like different parts of the country and different nations would have their own practices that they might prefer based on mm-hmm. their own cultures like I think I I like to think of lots of things not like ones is too limiting I like to think of like I said yeah. sun lines, dance smoke exactly uh, plants. I think of
2: like like I'm thinking of lots of different options like yeah when I'm thinking of indigenous magic I'm thinking about like the many different I guess traditions, the different kinds of art and culture, the different ways of life that I know about Indigenous people. And I'm not an expert in this. I'm like, you mentioned song lines. I'm thinking of like smoking ceremonies, Mm -hmm. dance and music massively important to indigenous Australian peoples like so much of the dreaming is told through dance and song Mm -hmm. and in terms of like wooden instruments like wands like you said staffs spears yeah boomerangs yeah Yeah. at the same time (laughs) yeah I don't know the name for them but there's a kind of like rhythm stick that's used to make music in Mm -hmm. ceremonies Mm -hmm. the name of it is escaping me things like those could have easily been like magical focuses very similar to wands yeah yeah so look that's my answer to that it's not perfect but that's what I'm gonna say on that topic
0: yeah I agree I agree and I think Mm. like obviously I would love to hear a more culturally informed perspective Um,
2: yeah so I just yeah when I think of indigenous Australian magic I think less of spells and wand work as I think more of like bushcraft
0: okay yeah
2: yeah I think of
0: like it's just part of the the culture and the experience that's woven into everyday life You know, like, I I can see, like, magic users that are just making oils that protect people from the sun. And I can see Mm -hmm. magic users that are using their magic to hunt down a kangaroo so they can feed their family and their tribe. Like, I can just see it all connected like that. And it's just a part of the way of life. It's part of the extension of how they interact with the land and whatever. So,
2: like, yeah, Yeah.
0: that's that's how I see it. But, like, I you know,
2: we're just making assumptions here. Yeah. I'm thinking of like times when I have, when I've had the opportunity to walk through the land with an indigenous guide on like rare occasions, usually as touristy sort of events where it's like, you know, here's this place and here's what it means to us. And here are the plants and here's how they can be used. Mm -hmm. And here's how I would see and track animals in the area. I think all of these things in terms of like systems of ways of life and traditional knowledge, Just having a magical aspect to them. That's the way that I think of magic. I also want to bring in
0: here um, connections to land, people, and language. Um, Because something that's very terrible about Australian history is that obviously there were thousands of different indigenous languages that existed pre-contact, but because of the effects of colonization and attempted genocide, many of those languages are lost. Mm. Countless have been lost. Yeah. Countless have been lost and completely erased. So I think I would definitely see magic users either non-verbally or definitely using their own languages to
1: mm-hmm.
0: create spells and enchantments. So I think that's going to have a big impact later when yeah. the languages are, you know, when there's no, when those languages are
2: taken away from those magic. Users. Yeah. In terms of like language being the mat, sorry, in terms of Latin being the magical language in Harry Potter, Oh, I don't think, I'm not a linguist professor, I'm not like a linguist professional, but Latin is the root language for English, correct? No, no. Uh, no, it's English not? Is, okay. English is,
0: English's root uh, language is Germanic, Latin is the root language for things like French, Spanish. Oh, the romantic Italian. languages.
2: Yeah, but Germanic is for English, so. Okay, so then it makes no sense that the, <laughs> that English use Latin as their magical language then. She
0: might have gone with languu- um, Latin because it's a universal language in terms of science, so that's why all mm. our animals have scientific names in Latin. Okay. Um, That's my, look, it. Might have been her move, but I still I disagree. It doesn't matter to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: look, I can't explain why Latin is the magic language in Harry Potter because I don't. That doesn't make sense in terms of the English use it if it's not their root language. Mm. So either Latin is the magic language and it's the only language that has magic, which doesn't make sense. Doesn't make because sense because there was a place in time where Latin was the language that was spoken by the people. Yeah. And also, like, Uh, I just don't agree because, like,
0: it just doesn't make sense that, like, in China or in Nigeria or in the Caribbean, they're using Latin languages. Like, why would they? Unless... Obviously, if they've been colonized, they, if they had in the Caribbean, you know,
2: like, like Obviously, maybe. post-colonization yeah. makes sense. But, like, if, okay, so if we're saying that, like, we, no, because we've talked about where magic comes from, and it comes from emotions. emotions. exactly. And it, it, it started out in terms of ceremony, and then it was focused and blah, blah. but we've done all the work behind this. Yeah. So the reason why british people use latin is because they have discovered that as a focus and it's become the known system that's their socialization that's their culture that's what they're doing yeah there's no inherent power in the syllables and letters that make up latin so any culture could use any language or no language and it would just make sense to them if that's the way they've been socialized to do it exactly so yeah no whatever these are just cultural tools yeah yeah, indigenous magical languages could have had power, or they could have had a completely different system that didn't use language at all. Yeah, it would depend on the nation, depend on the magic user.
0: Yeah. Um, okay, so what about um, contact with East Asia, like China and Indonesia, and the Dutch? I think the Dutch um, were like looking at the coastlines of Australia before mm-hmm. Captain Cook was and stuff like that. There yeah. might have been some interaction there. There was definitely trade between... Um, Indonesian countries, maybe China as well in the north of Australia mm. um, I'm going to be honest, I
2: don't know much about this, all I know is that like these peoples did have contact with Australia mm. pre-colonisation, I know Vikings remains have been found here as well Yeah. God, those guys got everywhere. Yeah. Vikings (laughs) get fucking everywhere. I know there's been at least one Viking ship found here with like burial remains and things. (laughs) That's nuts. Wow. Those guys got fucking all over the world, man. (laughs) Is there anywhere the Vikings couldn't go? Space? (laughs)
0: Jesus Christ. Um, One thing I do want to mention here is the Ponciana woman. Do you know much about the Ponciana woman? I do not. This is a great example for, I guess, what I'm trying to get at here. So... The Ponciana Woman is um, sort of a folk legend, folk tale that exists in the north of Australia, mainly around Darwin. And it's it's like a it's like a woman in white sort of folk tale, if anyone's familiar with those sorts of tales. The Ponciana mm-hmm. Woman is said to be very beautiful, have long dark hair, be wearing white, and be found in the Ponciana trees in a small suburb of Darwin. She's said to be a bit of a La Llorona type, where she mm. might lure men to their deaths or or be benevolent in fact to be a protective force Um, there's lots of origins as to who she is whether she was um, a young Japanese woman uh, Mm -hmm. or whether she was indigenous woman or how she might have died if she was um, sexually assaulted or if she was murdered by soldiers all this sort of stuff so the Ponsignata woman exists but there's also exists like similar basically the same myth that exists in Indonesia as well Mm-hmm. And, um, it's believed that basically this was one of the theories is that this was sort of a cross-cultural thing that be- occurred between Indonesian peoples and, um, First Nations Australians, even pre-contact. Mm-hmm. And it's just sort of become part of the cultural lexicon for like this folktale. So that's what I'm trying to get at here is like, there might've been like information and knowledge sharing as well as trading. And maybe even like... Uh, different like magical flora and fauna that was interacting in these Mm -hmm. like pre-contact Australia. So that's just something to consider and think about. Um, I'd love to hear more from people that maybe
2: know more about (laughs) that, but yeah, that's just very cool idea. I'm going to be honest. I don't know a lot about like trade and culture Australia in Australia pre-contact. Mm. I, I just, it's not an area that I've ever really studied. I don't know much about it. Yeah,
0: I'll put some, I'll put a link about the Ponciana woman in the show notes. It's been an interesting story. Cool. Okay. Um, my next point is about colonization and conflict. So now we're getting to 1778 mm-hmm. and the First Fleet.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes.
2: So do you have anything for prior to the First Fleet? Just I'll just briefly explain yeah. For anyone who doesn't know. So Captain Cook, a massive cant, yeah, uh, showed up in a boat full of people. He was out exploring the fucking world, trying to find new countries to colonize effectively. Mm-hmm. And stumbled upon Australia. They sailed up and down the East Coast a bit. Their ship was wrecked. They repaired it. They found Mount Warning. Yeah. Uh, various things. Then they went back to Britain... And everyone there was like, you're lying. There's no country there. All these animals you've described are insane and can't yeah. possibly exist. And Captain Cook was like, fuck you, I'm right. He went back, found found Australia again. Uh, this time brought, like, botanists and artists and stuff mm-hmm. to depict the animals that he'd found. They took samples back and then... Yeah. Uh, Britain was like okay Australia does exist sounds like a great place for a new colony where we can dump all of our many criminals because we keep arresting people for stealing napkins and stuff
0: yeah we keep arresting people who are like highly impoverished um starving people we keep arresting them for stealing bread and the jails are poor because
2: we made the jails are all full because we made being poor a crime yeah basically so yeah (laughs) yeah um gosh Cool. So so, yeah. so then we get the first fleet, which was the first fleet full of boats, full of convicts to dump here in Australia who were going to build the colony, yep. yep. So
0: Britain colonizes the land sh- with ships full of muggle convicts. I'm saying muggle convicts because this is post um, statute of secrecy. This is mm-hmm. after the magical world in Britain and the muggle world in Britain has been divided. There's no reason why magical people would be in Mughal prisons and would be Mughal convicts sent to a different land.
1: Yeah,
2: I want to challenge this a little bit. All right, go nuts. Because I'm not sure I agree here. Okay. So I'm thinking back to our magical lore episode where I was talking about the International Confederation of Wizards and the fact that, I think it's Peru where they have the Abominable Snowman or whatever. Yeah. Uh, They basically... The International Statute of Wizards... The International Confederation of Wizards basically, like, sent people in to deal with the Abominable Snowman because the local Peruvian government wasn't, like, powerful or resourceful enough to deal with it on their own. So they basically just stepped in and took over management of that. Yeah, yeah. Now, if I'm... I shouldn't put myself in the shoes of this. Now, if we're looking at the International Confederation of Wizards way back in the 1700s, being like, oh, there's a whole new country here that's just been discovered, which was a thing that was happening at the time. Yeah. Why would they either assume that there are no wizards there or decide to do absolutely nothing about it? I think they would have wanted wizards to be on the First Fleet, heading over there, being like, okay, well, it's time to keep everything secret from Muggles. We need to figure out what's the go here. I think you could be right, but I like to think that it wasn't an initial decision because ultimately,
0: remember, wizards were keeping out of muggle business as much as they could. Because remember, Mm. if they start to get involved in muggle issues and they'll want want muggles will want wizards to fix everything,
2: blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I just think... This isn't a muggle issue. This is a wizard issue. The the issue is, if there are wizards amongst the native population of Australia, which they would assume there is because wizards are everywhere... Mm -hmm. we need to get over there and teach them the right way to do things, which is to keep all magic secret from muggles. And Mm -hmm. if we don't do that, the muggles who are going over there are going to find out about magic.
0: Yeah, that's possible. I still think that they could have believed, like if if there's any, there's not much liaison between muggles and wizards at this stage, but they could have believed what muggles believed, which Terranolius there's the the land is empty yeah are, that's there, true there are no indigenous people here and when they do find them they count indigenous people as part of the fauna of the land Disgustingly. yeah
2: me. yeah so that's again for our non-australian listeners that's just a horrible part of australian history um unlike other countries that were colonized by the british where they showed up and like oh there's native people here in australia they assumed that there were no native people and then when they found the native people they're like these aren't people these are animals yeah Um, that's just a thing that happened for some fucking reason I'll get more into that um, later but I think
0: I like to think that in the initial the main colonization the first fleet of Australia was muggles and I think the only magic people would have been people that were born on the journey Mm -hmm. Or people that, like, hadn't yet reached magical age. So, like, muggle-borns, like, young children. Yeah, that weren't Um, identified as wizards Maybe some squibs that were, like, had slipped through the cracks of magical society and were in muggle society, broke a couple of laws. Mm -hmm. That's what I...
2: That's what I tend to think at the initial... That makes sense to me. If Um, the understanding at the time is that there are no people in this land, it is terra nullius, it is completely empty and devoid of people, there would be no reason for wizards to come over here. Unless there just are wizards who want to go and settle a new land, which wouldn't surprise me.
0: Yeah, wouldn't surprise me. But again, I think majority
2: muggles. um, Yeah, there's going to be very few, if any, magic users amongst that first settlers, settlers, colonizers. So what would happen... When large penal colonies
0: encounter the First Nations peoples who are adept magic users, masterful agriculturalists and agriculturalists who are not threatened by the intense weather events, the confusing natural flora and fauna that's also magical conflict, which is exactly what happened historically, spurred by the fear Mm -hmm. of the unknown and the British need to expand the colony. But mm-hmm. what happens when letters start to be sent back to the mainland detailing the peculiar abilities of the indigenous populations, when they send the body of a bunyip back to British scientists who think it's yeah. crooks, mm-hmm. Um, the Statue of Secrecy is now under threat. So yeah. the Minister for Magic, or whoever was in charge of Magical Britain at the time, I don't know if it was a minister is likely under threat from the International Confederation of Wizards to step in and manage the situation, perhaps even mm-hmm. threatening that the Confederation could come in and take over. So if the Minister for Magic is in confidence with King George III or the Muggle Monarch of England at the time, so who was, so King George III, who was the Muggle Monarch of England at the time, or the statesman William Pitt the Younger, who was the Prime Minister, I think that the course of action would be obvious. The goal of non-magical of the non-magical English government is to seize this land for conquest and colony. As mm-hmm. such, the indigenous peoples of this land were considered an inconvenient obstacle. This was an age in human history where the cultural influence of the Age of Enlightenment, the culture of empire and Darwinism, mm. uh, intermingled horribly so that the Aboriginal peoples of Australia were viewed as uncivilized, primitive, and a dying race. Mm. They were literally described as a dying race from a time of pre evolution who would yeah given enough time would simply just die off and we wouldn't have to worry about them. It was terrible.
2: Yeah, I don't think the idea that they would die off was happening like immediately upon colonization. I think that was later. Because yeah. I don't think Darwin was around the seventeen hundreds. I think he was later. Because okay. Darwin. Actually let me look this up. You can yeah. keep talking.
0: Um so in fact, Aboriginal people were viewed by the colonizing British as a part of the fauna of this land, as I said, and the speedy extermination of this population would in fact be helping the natural course of history play out so that Britain could carry on with its merry expansion. So the goal of magical Britain is to preserve the mm-hmm. Statue of Secrecy and the Mughal colonization of Australia puts that secrecy of their civilization and in fact the whole wizarding world at a great risk. Mm-hmm. The solution seems quite clear. British wizards need to be sent to Australia to colonize the country alongside muggles mm. to fight, suppress, and kill the indigenous magical peoples, creatures, and life of the land to keep the secret. this was keep, okay. as we said before, the most like integral and important prerogative of the British government in in magical government is to keep the secret
2: <laughs> that is what they are there for, yeah. Yeah, that's basically the entire function of the government. They do very little governing. It's all about keeping the secret. So it makes perfect sense to me that
0: if not at the initial, certainly as soon as possible, once it was realised that Australia was a magical land with magical peoples and flora and fauna, Mm -hmm. that British wizards were being asked to go there and deal with it. (laughs)
2: Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I... Uh, thank you for reminding me of Terranolia, something that i have forgotten about when i was researching this episode for some fucking reason because i kept thinking about this in terms of like the british wizards are gonna have to come over here and try and like not cooperate but try and like impose their system of secrecy upon the magical indigenous peoples which isn't going to work with yep. the systems of like, the ways of life here on the country. It just doesn't make any sense. I don't see how it happens. But remembering that people of the time were like, oh, the indigenous Australians are literally animals. They would have just been like, okay, so there's all kinds of magical animals in Australia, such as the Mm. platypus, that we need to keep a secret from the muggles who are colonizing Mm -hmm. the land. Therefore, going over there and just, like, oppressing, suppressing getting rid of all of this magical stuff that's loose in the wild. Like, that's our version of colonization that's happening alongside the Muggle colonization. Yeah, Yeah, and the indigenous peoples, unfortunately, would have just copped the very violent end of that stick. I think also, like I said, I think the wizards would
0: have been informed before they went there that there are indigenous people there who are magic users. Because,
2: Mm. yeah, they would have have known known that,
0: that. but they just wouldn't have thought of them as people. they wouldn't have, because they're also influenced by social constructs at the time um mm-hmm. so yeah that's how I think the colonization began and so if we just imagine like the colonization of this country with the first fleet and that initial contact basically it was and, and like I we said a content warning at the beginning of this but another content warning mm. here we are going to talk about massacres like it was enforced like government um what's the word endorsed government endorsed military action and massacres against the indigenous people to push them out of mm. this land that needs to be built up and developed and colonized. Like that was yeah. what was going on.
2: Um Yeah. So Yeah, that was very much the policy of the In time. fact there's often been speculation
0: and. about whether or not um because obviously on the first fleet a lot of the convicts got sick on the the voyage. That's just how it happens. So when they arrived mm. in the land they brought with them things like I don't know probably from yeah. the typhoid smallpox all sorts of diseases some people even even just the, column,
2: the common the common cold. cold the common cold didn't exist in Australia prior yeah. to the first fleet arriving and then when it did arrive like literally just the common cold and the flu yeah. decimated indigenous populations because they had no antibodies against yeah. it it just, it just went through the communities and wiped people out. There's
0: also been speculation and some evidence that there w- there might have been, obviously that's a part of the, it's a part of the warfare, it's a part of the genocide to purposely introduce sicknesses to indigenous people because, hey of, mm. if a common cold wipes them out, let's introduce them to smallpox, like it'll clear out yeah. that land for our beautiful farms, you know, it's just
2: I, I don't think that was there as an intentional tactic It has been argued. British didn't have It has been argued by people that are smarter than me, but I don't think the British at the time had the knowledge of germs. They would need to come up with germ warfare, but I might be wrong. I could
1: be wrong. I mean, they'd gone through
2: the Black Plague. They know enough about germs to be able to solve that eventually. They know about sickness, but like the idea of germs and how sickness is spread is not very well developed at the time. I don't know. (laughs) I I believe it. (laughs) I think that it's very possible. I don't. I don't think that's based anything.
0: Okay, so that's another point I wanted to bring up with colonization is we often wonder about the size of the wizarding population in Britain in the 90s, right? And -hmm. we know that there aren't many wizards, and I wonder if the expansion of the British Empire contributed to that low, low population. Because if you're thinking about the fact that
1: Mm. in our
0: history, real history, the British Empire covered, what, 25% of the globe. Yeah. If wizards had to be sort of called in and used to expand that empire to fight off the indigenous magical people's massacre suppress them then and then eventually settle there maybe that is another reason why there's just because like maybe that's
2: another reason why it makes sense yeah I understand what you're saying so it's not like okay so the muggles just basically send people out and start living in other countries I'm vastly simplifying but whatever but every time the muggles discover a new country and send people to live there wizards have to move in their own contingent to first of all figure out what kind of magic shit is in that country because there's going to be all kinds of different peoples different systems of magic and like spells potions dragons Mm -hmm. magical creatures magical plants they have to move in there amongst the muggles Mm -hmm. discover all Mm -hmm. of that and it's all going to be completely new and crazy and then repress it and keep it secret from the muggles and push it back that means that as the muggle empire expands and goes grows stronger the wizarding population is going to be shrinking and spreading out thinner and thinner and thinner mm-hmm. across the world mm-hmm. because they have assigned themselves a job secrecy which is insane yeah. yeah and requires all of their resources just to to tread water basically yeah
0: because we, we've often talked about like we said the british population of wizards like we we mentioned it last episode what there's like 67 million people in the uk in our real world yeah yeah
2: yeah, 67 million and uh, 25 in Australia. And then we've million. done the math before
0: on, like, what the global wizarding population would be. And it's, like, less than 0.1 of a percent of the global
2: population would be wizards, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, and we know that, like... But that's based on the numbers from Britain. Yeah. What if Britain has an unusually small number exactly. of wizards compared to the rest of the world? Because of the colonization of the of the globe. Because, like, yeah, it just, it's
0: just crazy that there's 63 million people in Britain... And then the school, the school that like houses all the children in Britain and also from other countries, it could house people from France who don't go to Bobertons, has yeah. 70, 700 kids in it. Like we did the math before and we yeah. talked about it in the 90s, about 700 kids. And we know that there was a baby boom yeah. for the generation
2: that we are looking at as well because of the war. So like, mm. <laughs> it's, it's anywhere from 300 to a thousand, but settle on 700. Yeah that's yeah, insane it is a insanely low yeah everyone yeah. in the
0: wizarding world knows each other there are like distinct families it makes sense to me i always in my head i guess i always kind of thought of it as like oh the population's low because they've had this huge war but it's not good enough it's not it, there's no reason for it mm. to be that low unless wizards are just not good at like passing on their wizard genes or whatever you want to say but like to me yeah. it really seems like maybe colonization is the answer we've been looking for this whole time. That sounds like a grim sentence out of context. Um, <laughs> maybe the, the historical colonization and the, the expansion of the British Empire looked through in a magical lens answers that age-old question that we've been pondering forever as to why there's so few wizards in Britain. That's
2: a better phrase. Love that you felt the need to explain that. <laughs> what I really like about that is kind of like a, a cause and effect thing. I like that as the, mat, the muggle british empire grows stronger and bigger it weakens the magical population there Mm. by spreading them out i love that that's great (sighs) yeah (laughs) um yeah in terms of explaining away the population discrepancy which we've been struggling with for years like it does it that makes sense to me okay um i don't know exactly what it means for the numbers in other countries Mm. Because, like, every single time we have tried to extrapolate the magical population, we've done it by pulling from the numbers in Britain. So if the numbers in Britain are disproportionate to the rest of the world as a result of colonization, I don't know what that means to the rest of the world. It might
0: mean that there's way more wizards than we even considered. It might be, it mightn't be, like, 0.01%. It might be more like 5%. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's, that's, that's a huge, huge jump. Um, but it's possible.
2: It is possible,
0: yeah. Yeah, and colonization, as we know, like, it was about, like, the few suppressing and ruling over the many, like, divide and conquer. It would make mm-hmm. sense if you if you had, like, a small population of British wizards coming in and contributing to that colon- colonization of that country.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, it just thins them out, like you said. There is, yeah, okay, wow.
1: Yeah,
2: well, it just makes sense. Like, if we're assuming that the... A magical population of Australia at the time is the magical population of the indigenous population yeah. plus the British ones that have come over. Like there's just going to be more people yeah. here because there are more people here. Yeah, Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Very interesting. Yeah.
0: So, hmm. um, that's the first, sorry, the first two points, the first two like cultural touchstones and history that I had there, we can sort of picture in our minds what would have happened over the next, uh, Century and a half, sorry, next century mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, forced expansion, colonization, uh, mm-hmm. massacres, uh, attempted genocides, all these sorts of things happening between the First Nations people and the settlers. Next point I want to look at is a gold rush. I don't like a gold rush. Mm. <laughs> Personally, I remember like <laughs> when we had to learn about the gold rush in school. It, it's an interesting point in history, but I always kind of find it unnerving. So, <laughs> I'm yeah. nothing, that's interesting.
2: Um, yeah, I always found it very interesting to learn about. I actually am a little bit refreshed on this because mm. I just went on a road trip with um, our parents mm. across the across the shipwreck coast in southern Australia and hit up a bunch of the old gold rush towns around right. here. So it's interesting. I'm a little bit refreshed on this. I was just at the Eureka Stock oh, Aid, wow. the birthplace of Australian yeah, government. Exactly, yeah. So we'll touch on okay. that.
0: <laughs> so <clears throat> the gold rush in the 1850s, the gold rush of Australia saw a huge immigration to this country that really put the land on the global map into, and into the global consciousness. Mm. There was a hey, this country isn't just huge
2: and full of weird <laughs> animals, animals, there's wasteland. resources there's here. <laughs> Money. <laughs> <laughs> there's gold to be had. Don't you want to come to our new country now? Yes, yes said the rest of the world. <laughs> there was a l- <laughs> we love gold and stealing from native people. Yeah.
0: Uh, There was a large influx of immigrants from Europe, East Asia, South Asia, sorry, from Europe, East Asia, South Asia, and Southeast Asia. Um, Mm -hmm. Plenty of working class people traveling to Australia for a chance of striking gold, quite literally. In Mm -hmm. 1851, the white population of Australia, I say that because Indigenous people were not counted in this population count. Yeah, Um, we have
2: no way to know these numbers. They just were never counted.
0: The white population of Australia was around 450,000. That is nothing. 450,000. That's so low. And then in 20 in twenty years' time, by the end of the that's gold like rush... That's like the global population of wizards. <laughs> I know. <laughs> in 20 years' time, by the end of the gold rush in 1871, the population had tripled to more than 1.7 million. That's an insane boom.
2: That's more than tripled. That's almost quadruple. Yeah. 20 years. Wow. Um, yeah, that's huge. And
0: with that, think of the urbanization that comes with that, too. Like mm-hmm. think of Melbourne before the gold rush and then think of yeah. it afterwards. It's got trams. Like there's no horses and carts yeah. anymore. Like it's,
2: yeah. Oh yeah. There were gold rush, there were gold rush towns. Yeah. yeah. Whole, yeah. Sections. Whole civilizations yeah. were built around places where there were gold because it's not like you could just live out there in a tent and rip gold out of the ground. Like you had to have an entire economy and infrastructure to support you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Our country was built on gold
0: rushes. Yeah. And also, it's a big part of like um, the promise of Australia as well. Like for the mm. for the colonizing uh, folks, the promise of Australia, obviously not the prisoners, but <laughs> the other folks that yeah. came along to colonize the country, the promise was like, "Oh, you'll get your own land that you can own and you can toilet, and like it'll be hard work. Yeah. Like don't get us wrong, it'll be hard work, but you'll be the owner of your own property. You'll be a free man. You'll have riches and like wealth and prosperity and free rights, basically." and that's pretty good if you're thinking about your fucking flavorless stew in england in this dirty ass street you're like oh
2: actually that promise seems pretty good (laughs) you know yeah literally this is a line from our national anthem yeah with golden soil and wealth for toil yeah like literally like we are a golden country where you can come and make money and build a life for yourself by working for it yeah like that's the promise of australia So if I
0: was thinking about this, and I was thinking about this from a magical perspective, I was thinking like Mm -hmm. wizards from around the globe may be interested in gold for currency, alchemy and riches. Goblins Mm -hmm. may be interested in gold and any other minerals that could be found in this land. Mm -hmm. And in this process, I wonder what other magical minerals and valuables may end up being extracted from the land. Yeah. Um, Because as we've discussed in our Magical Land episode, we've said that magic was palpable here because we've had the Mm oldest civilization living here for plus 60,000 years. the very earth itself would have magical properties I would think (laughs) like you could pick up the soil and it would slip through your fingers and it would feel like magic
2: like yeah well you talked uh, about how Australia's biggest import not import export at the moment is coal yes yeah and like I said Australia was built on gold mines I also mentioned opal mines yeah. last episode. Like Australia is very, very wealthy in terms of natural resources in the land which can be extracted. Mining is a huge industry here. Yes. Huge. <laughs>
0: huge.
2: Um Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that's something interesting. Um, I guess like I'm just thinking about like wizards coming over in the gold rush because mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's just such a it's such a weird thing to <laughs> imagine. Like because, obviously, wizards could find gold so much easier, right? They could stand over the ground and mm. say Accio gold and move it through the mm-hmm. earth towards them. Because um, I actually... Yeah. I looked it up when I was studying... Like, when I was researching for this episode. Like, was there a lot of gold here? And I'm like, yeah, there's, a, like, a yeah, bit of there gold. Was. There, was a, there was a pretty good amount of gold. Like, I, I I was always under the impression that
2: there wasn't much gold here. That it was more of, like, a rumor no. that went insane. <laughs> no. What it was was that people were under the impression that like, you could literally just sort of bend down into the dirt and dig around a little bit and pull out gold nuggets yeah. and then you'd be rich and you'd be set. That wasn't the case. Yeah. What it was was that like, there was a lot of gold, but you could move out here and make a claim on the land and mine that claim for your entire yeah. life and never find exactly. anything.
0: Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: While the person 30 feet from you with their own claim could be strike a line of gold and be a millionaire. Yeah. And it was... Yeah. And also, it was kind of a fucking scam yeah. moving out into the gold fields because uh, they... The people who got rich during the gold rush were not the miners. No. It was the people who owned the land, first mm, of all. Minimalist. And it was also... It was the it was the shopkeepers. Yeah. It was the people who sold the deed to your mining claim. It was the tax collectors. Yeah. It was the government who got massively, massively rich during that time mm-hmm. because they basically just charged exorbitant rates for everything that you needed to mine, including a license to mine mm-hmm. and medicine and food and everything that you needed. And uh, people people with nothing came here came to let's just say the eureka eureka um eureka the town yeah and uh spent years mining and everything they pulled out of the ground which could have been quite worth worthwhile could have been real gold they could have made a fortune they had to spend on just staying here Mm. and paying for themselves and their families to live and then at the end it's like well i can't go anywhere else because i didn't make any money so now i live here Mm mm-hmm mm-hmm
0: Mm. yep (laughs) it was a con to get more people in the country
2: yeah Um, and it worked it worked Um, And yeah, as you said, there were lots and lots of migrant workers from other countries, people who came here hoping to make money for their family and send money back to their family who sometimes could, but uh, mostly didn't and ended up either stuck here or made money to bring their families over and then just made a life as a farmer or whatever after Mm -hmm. the gold rush had died down.
0: Yeah. Something I often think about with the gold rush is like, this was a kind of a big moment for cross-cultural communication, like outside, Mm -hmm. obviously the initial conflict settler wars. Um, but basically there was a huge influx of people immigrating from China to come into the gold rush to start businesses and mine themselves. So that was like sort of the, mostly the beginning of Chinese immigration to Australia. And that's one of our hugest immigration populations now. Um, and so I, I think about like, you know, the new cultures of magic, the new kinds of magical spells, magical creatures that might have been introduced during this time as well from the Asia Pacific, Indonesia, China. Like, I think it'd just be interesting. Um, Yeah, (laughs) that's the gold rush. Unless you have
2: anything else you wanted to add? Uh, Yeah, well, I feel like I should talk about the Eureka Stockade a little bit because I mentioned it. (laughs) Yeah, let's go. Yeah, so the Eureka Stockade, it was something that happened at, like, the biggest gold field and the biggest gold mine in Victoria, which is the small southern state uh, where I live, where Melbourne is, one of the major cities in Australia. yeah, And the site of many of this gold rush was in the low southern part of Australia in yeah. Victoria. Yeah. Uh, so the Eureka Stockade. Basically what happened is, as you've said, there was a massive, massive, massive population boom. And prior to this, the majority of Australia's population was convicts and settlers who were either sent here because they had no choice or nowhere else to go, Or sort of came here for various Mm -hmm. reasons and then couldn't get back to Britain, even though they wanted to, and were just sort of stuck here. So there was a uh, small, unhappy population controlled by colonizers and settlers who were here to be in charge and had a lot of power. Mm -hmm. Then the population tripled or quadrupled very, very quickly. Yeah, Full of people who wanted to be here, who cared about being here, who wanted to make a life here, who brought their families with them. And all of a sudden you had like an actual population. Yeah. <laughs> so a massive, massive influx of people into the country. And then they were put into these terrible, terrible conditions. The conditions of the goldfields were mm. awful, mm-hmm. awful stuff. People were dying of illness and disease yeah. and being beaten to death by the cops and being starved out of house and home not they had houses they were fucking camping in the dirt and shit yeah so it was a huge oppressed population and what happened at eureka was basically uh the miners and their families unionized effectively yeah they all banded together and they're like this place is shit the amount of tax that we're being charged to be here just trying to dig for gold in this place is unreasonable. We're all going to die effectively because we can't afford to pay to be here when we shouldn't have to pay to be here in the first place. And uh, something happened called the Eureka Stockade where they basically all of the miners like built a stockade, Mm. armed themselves with weapons and basically said come and kill us if you want our money. We're not giving it to you anymore. This is our country. We're here. And this was the birthplace. It's called the birthplace of Australian democracy because it was the first time that a bunch of Australians, self-identified Australians, not, like, English settlers, English Mm. colonizers, actually banded together and rebelled against the English people and said, no, like, this is our country, this is our place, we're standing up for what we want, here are our demands, effectively, (laughs) and, like, fought for our country. And it was about Australia as an actual country, not as a colony of the British. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there was a terrible massacre at the Eureka Stockade. It failed... (laughs) <laughs> completely failed yes completely failed they were bulldozed by the yeah. British but the legend <laughs> Just lived and on. killed them all but the legend lived on yeah. and it was the birthplace it was the beginning of Australia wanting to be a country on its own wanting to have its own political systems its own laws its own governance yeah. and not to be ruled by the British effectively yeah it makes yeah. a lot of sense that that desire for a,
0: just a democracy and its own country and its own politicization, as you said, was sort of built around this idea of a fair go. A
2: fair go. <laughs> Which is such a fair an go Australian go concept. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and the idea that, like... I want to come here and work for my own wealth and the wealth of my family and not for the wealth of a king or a queen that I have no loyalty to. Yes. Especially seeing so many of these people immigrated in from places that were not Britain. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, And they're like, why do
2: I give a shit about the king or queen of the time? And I imagine there was also a bunch of um, people in that uh, Eureka Stockade
0: that were born in Australia post the Mm. contact. And so like had grown up in this country, never known England, never known a monarch. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. Interesting. There was a very big cultural shift from people who were sent here against their will versus people who were born here and yeah. knew no other place and knew no other home. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It's a big divide. Yeah. I'm <sighs> not sure what that means in terms of magical Australia. Mm. Um. Maybe if it,
0: if we're mirroring again, maybe it was the start of a more. Australian uh, magical political scene, like an Australian ministry. Like maybe there was Mm. like beginnings of that because obviously at that point, I imagine it still would have been the British ministry was like in charge. And yeah, like, you know, this, the, the wizards that are being sent there and the wizards that have been born there are still compliant to the rules of the British ministry, right? Statute of secrecy, Mm
2: -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Well, something that we haven't touched on because this is really, really school relevant but I was thinking that when like wizards started coming over here, when the original colonizing wizards started coming over here, their children, I imagine, would have been sent back to Britain to attend Hogwarts. Yeah, absolutely. That's what the original colonizers did. They, yeah. the wealthy ones, sent their children back to England to be educated in the institutions there. Yeah, so. I think this massive influx of people, this is when Australia started being like, actually, we kind of need our own resources and yeah, shit we need, here. Like, we need our own government. We need our own economy and school. Yeah. We can't be yeah. dependent on Britain and we can't be... Britain is a leech feeding off us. Mm. And, like, we need our own shit here. So if there was a hogwarts style school in australia which spoiler alert we don't think there is mm. this is their this is the inception of it it's yeah. when all of these people moved into the gold fields and started building their own lives here yeah. that's when australia started
0: magical australia like yeah yeah that's when they're thinking like oh you know why why should the wealthy wizards be able to send their children off to Scotland to go get educated, and the rest of us mm-hmm. have to homeschool our children when we're trying to, you know, make a living and make our lives here. Like, no, let's just mm-hmm. let's just start our own Hogwarts here in Australia. Like, I can 100% see yeah. that conversation happening with wizards. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah, we'll yeah. touch on that more in our school episode, but yeah, yeah, this is the point where Australia started realizing that we had to be our own country. Yes, okay. and it would be a long time before independence from the British. And I say that in quotes because we're still not independent. We know, we're the not independent, British. <laughs> we're still a Britain col- British colony. Yeah, our country is still technically the Commonwealth of Australia. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. Okay. Let's move away from goldfields <sighs> now. Okay.
0: The next point I have here is genocide continued. So. All right. In history, we know that the expansion of the colony into the formation of a state and a nation had to incorporate the building of a national identity, culture, and history. hmm Absolutely imperative to the formation of this national identity was the upholding of a white Australia. hmm in white Australia, it was the triumph of British civilization that had conquered this land, tamed this wild and harsh landscape, and built a society that promised prosperity and the concept of a fair go for British and Europeans settling the country.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But really, what the creation of a national identity and a lawful federation meant was the completion of the conquest of the Australian natural resources and the indigenous population.
1: Mm-hmm
0: initially indigenous peoples were cast out from their lands which were turning into urban centers and settler properties settlers also massacred first nations peoples to clear the land for agriculture or urbanization Mm -hmm. to seize control of their state-given property or on instruction from government and law enforcement state and territory governments were concerned that aboriginal people were still too populous and also they were racist Mm -hmm. they viewed aboriginal people and populations as lesser than as addicted populations and as lazy Mm -hmm. i say addicted populations i should give context here uh the colonizing forces basically introduced alcohol to the aboriginal people and then blamed the aboriginal people for becoming addicted to it
1: Mm -hmm. okay
2: yeah (sighs) that's a hint towards a much larger and more complicated issue that's still a thing today but Yeah. yeah essentially that is what happened
0: yeah Essentially, the governments didn't see Aboriginal people as conducive members of the workforce, and this was detrimental to the expansion of the colony and the building of a federation. And -hmm. so they started to come up with ways to control the Aboriginal population. These actions were a few of the moving parts that made up the attempted genocide of the First Nations people. Mm -hmm. Other important components of the Australian government's state-sanctioned genocide of Aboriginal peoples was the actions taken to, quote, breed out the black, unquote. Mm -hmm. So... When I say um, black, this is something that often confuses a lot of American people. Mm-hmm. There are black people in Australia. Indigenous Australians, First Nations peoples, Aboriginal people identify as black. Yeah. Um, there's often the, the spelling as well, B L A K, no C, because mm-hmm. the C is for colonization. So, yeah, black people exist. It's not just African American people, it's not just black people existing yeah. in American context. There are yeah, other ways. He, he,
2: yeah. in, in Australia, black is not synonymous with African-American. No. No. Um, so. Yeah. And it's uh, it's not a word that Jem and I have chosen to use. It's a word that indigenous peoples have claimed mm-hmm. and chosen to use to describe themselves. Yeah. yeah okay. okay. So according to my understanding of history, this was where uh, the Darwinism stuff was coming in not earlier on. I think it was, it like, from
0: when I did uh, Australian history in university, I think it, it existed, or when was Darwin born?
2: When was he around? <laughs> Can you? So I looked him up. He was born in early 1800s okay, right. and was around until late 1800s. Okay. And I think his theories were, like, mid-1800s. So
0: definitely the, the Age of Enlightenment was having an effect on the colonisation of Australia because there was that view that mm-hmm. obviously... Um, it is just people's people that were black were lesser than. Um, but yeah. I think Darwinism
2: really so, did number on that later on. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure if this is distinctive to Australia. If this was something worldwide, but when uh, Charles Darwin's was it Origin of the Species,
0: yeah, that's yeah,
2: one. whatever his theory was called, when that came out and he started talking about the survival of the f- fittest, what uh, white people, especially in Australia, I don't know if it was worldwide. Um, or if it was just Australia what they took that to mean was that um, white people were the fitter species, the better, Mm -hmm. stronger smarter, more powerful species and uh, non-white people were not that, they were weaker, lesser, blah 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 and they were like fated to just sort of naturally die out because white people mm-hmm. were more evolved. And as far as I understood, Darwin was very much like, no, you've completely misunderstood everything that I said. First of mm. all, that's not how fitter works. It's about fitting into your environment, yeah. not being stronger, but whatever. So there was a... Um, a theory, a social theory at the time, basically, that all of the indigenous people were just going to naturally die out. yeah, And um, us, us merciful white people were going to like... Uh, shepherd them away to like private little areas where they could just quietly die away from the general reservations. We're going to take them off their native lands and put them somewhere else and let them quietly die there. Yeah, where We we don't
0: have to interact with them and they're not on our lands that we own. Yeah. And by the grace
2: of God, they'll fade into the light. They'll fade into the darkness, blah, blah, blah. Everything's great. Uh, and then several decades passed and they didn't just die out because that's not what anything means or how anything works. So then it was like, okay, well, we should help them along. And that was yeah. where the stolen generations and the idea of breeding out the black came in. Yeah, um, Assimilation into white culture. Yeah. Because
0: basically they a bunch of colonizers and settlers and terrible racist scientists
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, came to the conclusion that when uh, Aboriginal people have children with white people probably from sexual assault yeah um due to the colonization that the children are more fairer and in complexion yeah so they basically theorized oh well if we just basically remove children from their cultures
1: mm-hmm.
0: raise them in a white society have them married off to white people they won't their children won't be indigenous and their children's children won't be indigenous and et cetera yeah. and et cetera
2: yeah and like it was very um, much like the introduction of whiteness to the indigenous peoples will make yeah. them smarter, stronger, better, blah blah blah, but More at the conducive moment
0: to a capitalist
2: federation society, yeah. it was, it but was at, at all, the moment, yeah. all of these half breeds are obviously still terrible and lesser and still need to be oppressed and horribly abused and assaulted, but eventually,
1: eventually,
2: mm. over the generations, as we breed out the badness, they'll become good, and I know that this is not just an Australian idea, I know this has happened the world over, mm. Uh, yeah, but this was a very terrible policy
0: at the time. It was an official policy. Yeah, um, it went from the mid-1800s to the 1970s. So living oh memory. Jesus this was, Christ,
2: the 70s.
0: Yeah. This was a government action to control the indigenous populations of Australia. And in case anyone doesn't know, the United Nations defines one of the vehicles of, one of the mechanisms of genocide as trying to control the population of a yeah. people. So it was essentially to wipe indigenous people out. Uh, First Nations children were taken from their homes, their families, and their lands and placed in institutions or in the homes of white families to be fostered. Mm-hmm. They were re educated, indoctrinated, and abused, taught to hate their own culture, language, and Aboriginal identity. Mm-hmm. This attempted genocide of our First Nations people is in living memory. There are currently more than 17,000 Stolen Generation survivors in Australia. Over one third of all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are their descendants. In Western Australia, almost half of the population have stolen generations links. The effects of the stolen generations is generational trauma and a disconnection from country and culture. It's very possible there are Australians walking around today who don't know that a few generations back their grandparent or ancestor was stolen from their land and family and raised to assimilate into a white Australian culture. There are plenty of stories of people not realizing they're indigenous Instead, of thinking they are white Australian, mm. or that they are descendant of South Asian or Polynesian cultures instead of Aboriginal. If we are making the argument that real world history is reflected in a magical context, then it follows that this attempted genocide would have taken place, and magical First Nations people would have been subjected to it as well.
2: Yeah. So. Yeah. So this is, this is the worst thing that's ever happened in Australian history. Yeah, Um, The Stolen Generations. It's the greatest... I I keep wanting to say tragedy, but like... Tragedy isn't the right word because it implies a lack of agency. Exactly, yeah. Assault. Attack. Genocide. You said the right word for it. It's... Yeah, it's the most horrible thing that's happened. And God, those numbers. um, Yeah. 17,000 people, one third of the population. God. Western Australia, specifically. Western Australia, God. Yeah. (sighs) So... In our last episode, when we were talking about, and maybe earlier in this episode, I've kind of lost track a bit. We were talking about um, indigenous peoples, how there were thousands of different peoples and there were different languages, and like yeah. the, there were specific people living on specific land, and the connection between land and people was like incredibly culturally and spiritually significant. This is where we see the severing of many of those ties. Because people were taken from their lands and then Mm -hmm. lost all connection to their peoples and their families, so they didn't even know where they came from.
0: Yeah.
2: And this is how languages disappeared and peoples Mm -hmm. disappeared. And I say disappeared. Were wiped out. Were destroyed. Yeah. Because the connection was severed. Eroded. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly hard like hard to even think about For me, a white Australian with absolutely no connection to it and no reason to mourn for myself, yeah, hard to even think or talk about. It's horrible, horrible stuff. Like,
0: I've seen this happen at least twice, at least twice in my personal life, where someone who thought that they belonged to one culture actually found out that they are Indigenous and they just didn't know because Mm. their family was stolen and they were just raised to think differently. Like yeah. it's it's living memory. It's very common. It's a part of it's a dark, dark part of our history that we couldn't not address. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah, it's it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and now to take this horrible real life tragedy and translate it into a whimsical children's series. Ugh. Yeah, I'm I'm. I kind of just want to skim over this because it's it's honestly too grim to really translate. Uh, yeah, magical populations would have gone through been the swept thing, up i guess that. been yeah. swept up in this lost a connection to land we said that a lot of their magic was tied to land and to culture yeah. so a decimation of like magical knowledge and practice among the indigenous yeah. populations it would have survived in places and in peoples because not not everyone was stolen there are still no. people on their traditional land living their traditional lives yeah. in families that not were untouched but survived yeah. this genocide
0: there were First Nations families that managed to hide their children. Maybe not all their children. The fairer mm. children were taken and assimilated. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: But there were First Nations families that adapted and survived and protected their children from being taken. So yeah. those uh, people that belong, magic users that belong to those environments would have been raised and culturally connected and, and spiritually and magically connected to their own cultures and families and lands. But mm-hmm. there would be plenty that would
2: completely removed and yeah. And would, would have, a, have yeah. no connection to that and have no knowledge of their preexisting connection to that. So all of their magical knowledge would be colonized. It would be the white people's knowledge. It would be the equivalent mm. of what they're taught at the equivalent of Hogwarts, which we'll touch on.
0: Well, I even think that, I don't know, would, would white magical wizards be including indigenous children who are magical in their practices or would they just be leaving them to be raised in a white muggle society would they just be creating obscure everywhere well i think it's maybe 50 50 like it depends on the person
2: no like, i don't think so because the racism of the time would be like let's just leave them out but you've got to remember that wizards primary driving thing is not racism sea sea. it's yeah. yeah it's not racism against uh, the different races as we perceive them it's racism against muggles and mud bloods and stuff. And secrecy, that's their driving yeah. force. So I think they want the indigenous magic users, but it, it would be the same idea of stealing and breeding out the black. It's the, yeah. we want to take the indigenous magic users and their indigenous magical systems, destroy those and indoctrinate them into our British magical systems. Give them wands, yeah. teach them spells, teach, teach them the them right la- way English, to do magic. Teach them lap- yeah, and,
0: all that bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. and um, obviously,
2: you know, they're so uncivilized and terrible they can't possibly live up to our greatness, but eventually over the generations we'll get something that's like halfway decent. That's That I, would be the thinking of the time.
0: This is really grim, but I I honestly could see um, these children, these stolen children being used as akin to house elves, if there's no house elves in this
2: country at this time. That's exactly ha- what happened during the actual stolen generation. They were yeah, used they were as used servants as and slaves.
0: Domestic servants, slavery, It was that was all happening. So I can mm-hmm. see that happening in a magical context. I can see that there might be some situations where white wizarding families don't want to take in an indigenous magical child. And so of they course. just leave them to their own devices and that child becomes an obscure I yeah. can't see that happening. So I think there's, there's multiple things happening
2: here. Yeah. It's we terrible. should specify that as well. So generations wasn't just about race. It was about economy as well. You yeah. can steal these children and then have slaves, free workers. Yeah. It yeah. Was that was another aspect
0: to it. In, um, in the state that we're from, like in the area that we're from, the majority of the girls that were stolen were of i hate to use the word but breedable age so mm. they started not at just age our 11 area. that's everywhere yeah they started at age 11 and 14 and they just took the girls and their families then because they knew it was about population control but it was also about economy yeah they put them in domestic servitude roles and just knew that like oh well when these girls start getting pregnant they'll have white babies and all this Mm -hmm. sort of stuff
2: it's just yeah because they will they will be being impregnated by the white people who have them and control them yeah Yeah, exactly this was um I I I can't say this with 100% certainty and I might be wrong but I'm pretty sure stolen generations disproportionately affected women and girls because they were stolen and taken for this reason i'm not sure if that's true but it also wouldn't surprise me
0: because it was a a huge part of it was about uh the breeding population population and all that sort of stuff so i wouldn't be surprised if it was more more a little bit more targeted towards girls but i don't know Mm. um yeah so my last point here is where are we now (laughs) (laughs) Because <laughs> if we're talking about history, we have that to That was grim. About... <laughs> yeah, that was, let's take a moment, that was really grim. Um,
2: yeah, that was rough. Like,
0: we had to talk um, about it, but I hated to talk about it.
2: Um, yeah, if we're going to talk about Australia's history, like, this is the most significant thing to talk about race relations in Australia. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what we have to talk about. It sucks to try and consider it from a magical point of view because it's annoying to take real-life tragedies and filter them through the lens of a fucking children's book about wizards, but that is the premise mm. of what we're doing here. <laughs> yeah. If we're going to be thinking
0: about things like a magical society or a magical land or a magical school, then we can't not talk about the effects of this attempted at genocide. Yeah. Because it's going to affect everything.
2: Yeah. We can't talk about a magical school in Australia without considering. The children in Australia who will be attending those schools, and how in the 1970s they were still being stolen. They're probably still being stolen today, I just don't know enough about it.
0: Well, yeah, there's more Indigenous children being stolen from their families today than ever before. Okay, um, perfect. Due to the incarceration and foster and all that sort of awful system and the abuse of children that happens in that, especially Indigenous children. That's a whole conversation. (laughs)
2: Uh, we were trying to get away from this grim stuff. Okay. Um, Yeah. There's a reason why I opened this episode with a long conversation about the way that the magical books are broken and you can't fix racism in the series that fixing it in the world, which doesn't fix it in the series. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So where are we now? Where are we now? Yeah. We can't talk about history without
0: having consideration of how this creates our present and possibly our future. So where are we now in a post sorry day society Historically and naturally, Australia, this is my opinion, Australia is at a reckoning point. Mm-hmm. There are natural disasters. There's more diversity now than ever in our um, human population. Like, I think our last census revealed that the majority of the population of Australia, for the first time since like the 1850s or whatever, um, the majority of us have at least one parent who was born overseas. Mm.
1: Um,
0: there's talk of a referendum about getting an Indigenous voice to Parliament. Um, there's a more widespread understanding of violence in our communities and when i say violence i mean things like domestic violence sexual violence abuse and how this disproportionately affects indigenous people Mm -hmm. women people with disabilities like there's just more of a a social awareness i think happening in the last couple of years in australia so i think australia is at a very interesting point in our history um so let's think about all these aspects in a magical context because that's what this ah. (laughs) what Uh. this is about yeah what is there's, the direction? What's Australia's magical future and present like, looking like? What's it shaping up to be?
2: Yeah, there's generally a shift that is occurring at the moment. And I think this is worldwide as well. I don't think this is distinct to Australia. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, we are becoming more socially aware of the issues that exist today and the ones that have existed in history. Like, we're relearning that what we were taught in school was actually not correct. Yeah. And even things like us opening this series with an acknowledgement of country acknowledgement of country and welcome to country uh was definitely not something that was standard when i was growing up it was not something that we were aware that we needed to do aside from various special occasions such as an anzac day or something like that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. whereas now it's it's pretty standard
0: like yeah now like people are going like when they tag a when they put a picture on instagram they're tagging the location not as um canberra but as none Mm -hmm. of all country or like (laughs) like they're putting the 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 country and the land that they're standing on and stuff like that like it's it's become more socially aware more normalized Mm -hmm. to know what country you're standing on and to be appreciative of the people that belong to that country
2: yeah there is more awareness like it's it's illegal to climb on Uluru now, where a few mm. years ago it wasn't, and that was a hot-button topic at the time. Yeah. We are becoming more aware of the land and sacred sites within the land than we were yep. even a few decades ago. Yeah. and But, like, I don't want to say all of this to be like, and things are good now, and we're moving <laughs> in the right direction, because I'm sure that there are... Uh, about a thousand injustices and things that I'm not even aware of. Yeah. I know that like, oh, so many more Indigenous people are disproportionately incarcerated and die mm-hmm. in incarceration than yeah. white Australians raise the or age. any other population. Yeah, yeah, the age of incarceration for Indigenous
0: for for children in this country it specifically targets Indigenous children, but the age of incarceration is so much younger than other countries around the world, and that mm. disproportionately affects Indigenous children.
2: Yeah. Um, There's a land back movement to try and give indigenous peoples their land back, which is being met with a truly ridiculous amount of resistance from anyone who's not indigenous. There's all kinds of things going on. Yeah. Um, What was the question that you asked?
0: Um, Where are we now? Like, are we at a reckoning point? I mentioned natural disasters as well. I think this has been a big one, especially in the last couple of years. This is one that's finally affected middle-class white people. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's one of those oh, issues. Finally, <laughs> Yeah. It's one of those issues that like, Oh, the youth and like indigenous people and rural people have been complaining for ages about how climate change is mm. a problem. But then now suddenly people in Sydney have been experiencing floods for like the last three years in a row. Mm-hmm. And, Bushfires have ravaged the entire country, and like Mm. it's actually starting to catch the attention of wealthy white Australians. And so now it's become an issue that's like I know it's annoying that I had to do that to actually take any action, but it does give me a little bit of hope that the majority of people are more conscious of the effects of climate change and the damage Mm -hmm. that's being done to our natural environment. And that has affected the way people vote, that has affected the way people talk about our natural resources and our trade
2: and stuff like that it's interesting yeah um, climate change is definitely becoming a bigger and more widely talked about topic mm.
1: because like, it's, it's become palpable
2: like, because it's become palpable even things like a couple of years ago when the country was on fire and I say yeah. the country was on fire like a third of the country was on fire there was yeah. insane bushfires that year whereas we've had devastating bushfires before ash wednesday black friday yeah. they were always in specific areas with like a specific range of devastation this was different the entire country was burning yeah. for uh, a long long time yeah. because we couldn't control the fires because there was too many of them yeah. and like you said like uh koalas are functionally extinct now they're not yeah. extinct but because so much of their land and their resources burned koalas are extinct because mm-hmm. they can't survive the devastation Things like that are big topics that people are aware of and people are talking about now. I would love to say that this is uh, going to lead to greater change and things are going to get better. And I I want to be hopeful for the future, but I'm a millennial. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I look at things through a doomed kind of lens. I think the world's already over and we're just not realizing it yet. I have hope because I have
0: to. Like, Mm. Whenever I'm feeling particularly down, I just remember the bandicoots. <laughs> this is such a specific thing. But bandicoots are like this little rat <laughs> that is like this Australian native rat thing and it's basically, like a little possum rat
2: thing. Yeah, it's, it's just it's a cute got little got rat thing. On it. It's just no, no, li- on it lives
0: snoot. it lives amongst the spin effects the outbacks. It's just a little dude. And like a couple of years ago, I was watching a nature documentary, um, David Attenborough one about Australia, and he mentioned that like there was less than like a hundred bandicoots left in the wild because of the effects of like agriculture and all this sort of stuff. And I, I burst into tears. I was in a very vulnerable <laughs> moment. I burst into tears. But then this year, the university I think of New South Wales, maybe it was a different university. Correct me if I'm wrong. They've been doing this amazing bandicoot program, and they've basically, they've reintroduced the bandicoots to the wild again, because they've managed to breed them up enough so they can go back in the wild again. And the bandicoots are in the wild again. There's more bandicoots. And same with the Tassie Devils. You know, the COVID yeah. vaccine fixed the Tassie Devils. Now they're not going endangered anymore. <laughs> like, it, there's a lot of insane, incredible things happening. So I have to have hope. And whenever I yeah. feel particularly down and sad and depressed and morbid, I just think of the bandicoots and... Maybe maybe I'll actually get the bandicoots tattooed on me or something like
2: that so I can just look at the bandicoot and be like, oh, there we go. That's good. Beautiful. In terms of Magical Australia, I feel like talking about where we are now is a conversation that we're going to have in our culture episode. Yeah. I feel like that's where we're going to talk about, like, what Magical Australia looks like now. Where are the people? What are they doing? What are they like? Yeah. What birds deliver their mail? (laughs) That kind of thing. Yeah. yeah Yeah. so i don't have much to say in terms of magical Mm. stuff right now because i don't think that's covered by magical history yeah so i'll save my thoughts
0: i think this this deep dive into magical history has given us a very good idea of like what ancient australia looked looked like Mm pre-contact what it looks what it what happened to it post-contact with the effect of colonization attempted genocide the immigration and how that might have affected the land and the people and i think it's given Mm. us a good sort of roadmap to work on so that when we come up with questions later on about culture and school we can be like oh well let's just think back to this point in history or this thing about land and we can just make the connect the dots you know (laughs) so i think that's been good I think for um, me
2: this episode was never about like and how will we completely reimagine <laughs> the Australian history but with wizards there because like I said at the beginning of the episode that was never what we were trying to do and it's never what Harry Potter has tried to do. Yeah. It was about establishing for ourselves and also for our listeners what is the Australian magical historical context and now that we have all of that information and all of the information of land we can start to build an understanding of what the australian magical world is like now in the present and without this episode going through history and the other episode going through land and environment that episode of what is australian (laughs) of what is Australian culture like would have been six hours long. <laughs> <laughs> and it also would have been such like a
0: tip of the iceberg conversation because we would mm-hmm. have just making it, been making a bunch of references and cultural assumptions that mm-hmm. make sense to us, but would have been like the nuance would have been lost on international yeah. listeners or listeners who aren't aware of the history of this country.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: great. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> well, I've done it. <laughs> I have been Jem and sovereignty was never ceded and truth-telling and the spirit of reconciliation is important for the history of this country and the connection to our country and our peoples in it so thank you all for listening and please go educate yourself more on the history of this country and its people that's all i have to say (laughs) (laughs)
2: I've been Ria and after you've finished educating yourself about the history of our land and its peoples uh, please remember to google a picture of a bandicoot to cheer yourself up because they are incredibly cute
0: Thanks for listening If you want to support us or get in touch the links to our social media and Patreon are in the show notes Please feel free to send us so many messages that we go mad and run away to a hut on a rock in the middle of the sea just to avoid them You'll hear from us again in two weeks' time.